0: This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table.
1: Words of Integration and Guidance by Tikhda Khan. We can learn from everything that is around us. We can learn how to exist even from the trees. Or I look at the trees in our yard. An oak tree is an oak tree, that's all it has to do. If an oak tree is less than an oak tree, then we are all in trouble. Without doing anything, not serving, not preaching, not even sitting in meditation, the oak tree is very helpful to all of us just by being there. Every time we look at the oak tree, we have confidence. Several autumns ago, I walked up to a tree in my backyard and asked it one question. What is institutional violence? The tree did not answer right away, so I sat at its roots and waited. The backyard was covered with brilliantly colored leaves, and the air was fresh, and suddenly I forgot that I was waiting for an answer. The tree and I were just there, enjoying ourselves and each other. After sitting for a long time, I turned to the tree and smiled and said, I no longer need an answer. A reading of scripture from Isaiah, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 4 and 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Be to God.
0: Holy Gospel according to Matthew 21 33 to 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a winepress in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. For the Word of God in Scripture, for the Word of God among us, for the Word of God within us. Amen. One week ago today, thousands of people headed to a concert anticipating a night of fun and music, laughter, and celebration. As we all know, it quickly turned into anything but that as bullets rained down on this unsuspecting crowd, killing nearly 60 and injuring over 500. It looked like a war zone, said a surgeon at a nearby emergency room. families blood in the hallways they noted at some of these hospitals that the patients came in so fast that they had to mark them with markers on their bodies they didn't have charts often they didn't have identification and they just had to literally write on them where they were injured and kind of triage and move them on to whoever could treat them when they could treat them right leg arm neck abdomen whatever it was One surgeon said he did seven surgeries in 12 hours. It was a night that began with hope and ended with violence and chaos and tears. In our text today, Jesus tells a story that begins in hope. A vineyard is planted with hopes of a great grape harvest, a wine press is dug with plans for vintage winemaking. But along the way things go awry, and conflict occurs, and the story ends in violence and death. We too have hopes, longings, dreams, as does every other person on this planet. Yet conflict is often our experience, and violence can sometimes arise, as we witnessed a week ago, seemingly out of nowhere. So the question for us this morning is, how do we cultivate and nurture and nourish peace, joy, harmony, in our own lives and in our broader society and world? How do we create a society where mass shootings aren't a common occurrence? And after the bloodshed in Las Vegas, we're all wondering, isn't there anything we can do So Jesus tells a story about a vineyard, and there are uh, a couple of directions we could go with this parable, and we'll kind of highlight them both, and I think both may have some insights for us today. Listen again to these words from Isaiah chapter 5, which R.T. read for us moments ago, a text that Jesus and his audience would no doubt have been familiar with. It says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a a wine vat. And he expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded only wild grapes. And then in verse 7 it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. And so this story in Isaiah 5, this imagery is obviously an allegory, right? There's talk of a vineyard, but it really means the people of God. And he expected it to produce wines, or grapes that could lead to wine. Good grapes, right? But it produced only wild grapes. That doesn't sound so bad, right? We might like to taste some wild grapes, or make some wild grape wine. But more literally, wild grapes there means stinking things. Stinking things. Or So we might think of it as rotten fruit. So wild sounds kind of nice, but it's actually more along the lines of a crop that really just didn't take or didn't produce usable fruit. Well, why? Why did this happen? Why did this beautiful picture of a vineyard suddenly turn ugly? Well, verse 7 says, He, that is God, expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Expected righteousness, but instead heard a cry. No doubt a cry for those who are not experiencing justice. And so the vineyard doesn't live up to its promise. The people of God are not following in God's ways. And so Jesus starts off his story almost word for word with Isaiah chapter 5, right? A vineyard is planted, a wine press is dug out, and even a watchtower is established in the midst of it. All three of those things are very specifically mentioned in Isaiah 5. And so it might be an immediate signal to us that, and to his listeners that he might not be talking about vineyards here, but be talking about the people and the nation of Israel at that time. And in this case, in the story Jesus tells, their society has tenants in it, those put in charge of keeping after the vineyard, making sure it's producing fruit. Well, as Jesus tells the tale, things sort of don't happen properly, right? And the chief priests and the Pharisees imagine that Jesus is speaking this parable against them and against their leadership. They, as leaders of God's people, perhaps are not doing what God has asked. And so it's talk like this that gets Jesus in trouble in this last week. This occurs during his last week in Jerusalem. And so that's the usual reading of the parable and how it seems Matthew intends for us to read it. That God had sent over the ages prophets to his people to sort of remind them of God's ways. We could think of that as the servants of the slaves that the landowner sent to the tenants in the vineyard. But these prophets were mistreated. And then more prophets were sent. They were mistreated. But finally a son is sent, right? And the son is killed. So is Jesus talking about himself? Here he could be. Some scholars wonder, would Jesus be telling a story about his own death before that even happens? It's a good question. And some say that perhaps this is an early Christian adaptation of the original parable that Jesus told, because notice it says that the vineyard will be taken away from these tenants and then given to others. And it's been interpreted from the earliest Christian interpreters as God taking sort of his leadership or his presence from the people of Israel moving to the church, into Christianity, kind of a supersessionist reading. Uh, And so maybe the early church sort of had a little role in how this parable came to us. It's hard for us to know either way, I think, but interestingly, this parable shows up in the Gospel of Mark also. It shows up in the Gospel of Luke and even in the Gospel of Thomas. And when it shows up in the Gospel of Mark, it's a little bit more stark, a little bit less detailed than we see here in Matthew. And so I think it's at least worth considering that the story Jesus tells here, as Jesus did with other parables, we talked about the parable of the day laborers a few weeks ago, that sometimes a story about a vineyard and about workers in it is actually a story about a vineyard and workers in it. could be that Jesus was pointing out the inequities of the economic system of the day in which a select few wealthy landowners are making life difficult for peasants, for those who have to work the fields or tenants who have to lease out land that formerly they own now from these wealthy landowners and that these landowners are not treating these peasants or workers as they ought and as you continue to treat peasants in this way eventually violence will occur and there will be a revolt as we see happening in this parable. And then in usual fashion, the powers that be come in and put down that revolt in, under the name of restoring order. So it's at least worth also thinking about that element to this parable. And that Jesus may be talking about that as well. And I think this socioeconomic reading also does justice to Isaiah 5, where it seems Jesus is hinting at. Because the very thing God was displeased about in Isaiah chapter 5, so many years before Jesus, was violence, injustice, and socioeconomic imbalance. Listen to verse 8, the very next verse after what we had our tea read for us earlier. This is back in Isaiah 5. It says, "Ah, you who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no room for anyone but you, and you are left to live alone in the land." In other words, God is criticizing even back then, those who are not living according to God's will, of people sharing this land equally for all to flourish, but a select few are sort of buying up as much land as they can at the expense of others who are left with nothing. And so that's a part of the original story in Isaiah 5, which Jesus is hinting at. And so instead of justice, there's a cry for the oppressed. Instead of a sharing of God's abundance, a select few are joining house to house and field to field. And listen to how that contrasts to another word of the prophets in Micah chapter 4. In Micah 4.4 we read, Everyone will sit under their own vine. Not be tenants under someone else's. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will be afraid. God desires everyone to have an ability to flourish in peace. But I think either reading of this still puts the question before us this morning. How are we tending the vineyard of this earth? How are we tending the vineyard of our communities, of our society? Are we creating conditions for flourishing and well-being to happen? Are we encouraging and seeking justice? Or are we sowing the seeds that lead to violence? After Sunday night's massacre in Las Vegas, we're all wondering why. How? And what can we do? God created this beautiful planet with vineyards and oceans and flowers and mountains and zebras and watermelons and popcorn. Right? God created this incredible creation which has enough for every single person to have their needs met. And yet too often, instead of cultivating this creation so that there is enough for all, We sow seeds that yield rotten fruit. Instead of sharing and working together, we compete and work against each other. And instead of peace, we fight and kill. And the cries still go up to heaven. So, what can we do? I've got four things one, lament. We can lament and grieve when things like this happen. We need space to hear the cries, to feel the pain, to hear the stories. Even though it's hard, it's worth maybe reading some stories. People whose lives were just suddenly shattered, whether we're talking about what happened a week ago or the occurrences that continue to happen day to day across our nation and our world. Lament and shed some tears. That's one. Two, nourish your inner life. Take care of yourself. We all react differently to tragedies. And we live in a time where it seems there's some outrageous and troubling news every single week. And it almost feels like overload. And it's easy to feel afraid. But we don't want to live from a place of fear. Or a place from reactivity. Or from a place of anger. And so take time to cultivate your prayer life. Spend time in nature and contemplation, as Ryan invited us to do yesterday. Spend time with the trees, as Thich Nhat Hanh encouraged us to do, and gain confidence from their simplicity. Nurture your trust in God and your grounding in the Divine Presence. Number three, live out what you want to see in the world. James Cavanaugh tells the story of an old Italian couple. He says, I see God in the old Italian couple who run a grocery store in my neighborhood. They do not often speak of God or Jesus or salvation, but I know they feel the divine presence. This couple love each other and greet me with a kind word and a smile. They smile when I buy a half pound of hamburger for some homemade chili. The store is their home, their community, their life. They know almost everyone by name, or at least by face. They charge more than a supermarket, but they give more. And when I leave the store, I somehow feel more human, more in touch with the realities of life, more a man I feel closer to God. They work every day from nine to tell nine in that store of theirs. They eat lunch and dinner together while they work. And when I say, you work too hard, they say, this is where we're the happiest. And I believe them. They do not work at all. They spend the day serving their friends. Then they go home, have a glass of wine and watch TV and say their simple prayers to a friendly God or light a candle to their Madonna. Sometimes they play cards or reminisce, then they go to bed. At times I sing a little when I leave their store. Not because I've been, quote unquote, saved, but because in the beauty of this vision of humanity, I sense in my life the living God. My friend Kate says, we counteract violence not by shouting the loudest or becoming immobilized in indecision, but by making life-giving choices big and small, consistently and bravely. What kind of life-giving choices? Well, we baptized three handsome little boys this morning, right? And how do we create a world in which they can live freely and not afraid and in peace? And how do we raise them up to be young men who live lives of peace, I think as parents, we spend time with our kids and we're present with them. Just yesterday, we were in Zealand for a pumpkin parade and my oldest was in the marching band and we set up our chairs and blankets and watch the parade and we were about 45 minutes early and we forgot to bring a game or something to do, which was my fault. <laughs> The kids immediately said, Dad, I'm bored. That's the thing you hate to hear, right, as a parent. Dad, I'm bored. I should have brought a game. I wasn't thinking. But as I looked around, I noticed that there were a bunch of leaves that had fallen uh, near us, and a lot of them were brown and dead. But there was occasionally a bright red leaf here and there. And I said, Why don't you collect all the pretty red leaves you can find? So Charles and Josephine started collecting all these leaves. And pretty soon they had about 20 of these leaves and I said, well, there's gotta be a game we can play with leaves. So let's play leaf wars. <laughs> and it suddenly it was peaceful, right? Now it sounds like something else. <laughs> you know you play a game of war with cards, right? You know the game war with cards where a jack will be the five or a king will be the four. So I said, let's deal out the leaves, 10 each, and then we'll each play a leaf, and the prettiest leaf wins. Well, I lost, you know, I just one. Just it was just this, you know, silly simple little thing, right? But it was a moment for us to be present. And suddenly instead of being bored after we played that game, my kids were looking around and seeing creation, seeing leaves, saying, Oh, look at this leaf, Dad, look at this leaf. Mom, it's beautiful, look at the lines, look, this one has some green and yellow and red and brown. How could we be present ourselves? with our little ones in a way that we see the beauty around us in every moment. And so one, lament. Two, nourish your inner life. Three, have our eyes open and live out what we want to see in the world. And finally, four, work for justice. Some of us may feel called to address the issue of gun control. Is it a coincidence that we are the most heavily armed nation per capita in the world and also suffer the most gun deaths? I don't think that's a coincidence. We're also the largest exporter of arms to the rest of the world. Perhaps a world of peace doesn't come by proliferating guns and weapons. Others of us may feel compelled to work in areas of mental health, still others to simply have eyes open for the person who is lonely and needs a friend, so that no one ever feels that violence is the only option. Others will want to work for economic justice, fighting for fair wages, affordable housing, workers' rights. Each of us, in different ways, will seek to live lives rooted in peace, walking in the path of Jesus. And of course, on top of everything that happened this week, Tom Petty died. and uh, a song of his that's pretty well known. I was reading the lyrics, listening to the song, and there was a line in there that just stood out to me in light of all that happened this week, and I'll just read that for you. Well, I started out down a dirty road, started out all alone, and the sun went down as I crossed the hill, and here's the line that got me, and the town lit up, and the world got still. Well, some say life will beat you down, break your heart, steal your crown. So I've started out for God knows where. I guess I'll know when I get there. I'm learning to fly, but I ain't got wings. If we can remember that we belong to each other, and perhaps together we can learn to fly. Perhaps we can tend this vineyard of a world that God has given us so that the words of the prophet will come true in our day, that each one will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will be afraid. May it be so. Amen. And namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10am at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland and for more information, how to get involved or to support our work like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org